Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Pear fans. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hey, paratruthers. We wanted to let you know that we're taking the week off this week, but we wanted to introduce to you guys our true crime podcast that we do on a monthly basis for our Patreon subscribers, Crime Crack. And we're doing this to give you guys a flavor for it and let you decide if you want to donate to our Patreon account so that you can get the monthly episodes as well as other rewards in the different tiers of of the reward system. And I hope you guys enjoy. A divorced couple and another man were found shot to death inside the woman's home near Broadway and Evidence Power. technicians and detectives remain at the home where four people were found dead in their basement apartment. A Seattle dentist and his family were found dead last night inside of their home, and investigators are calling it a double murder-suicide. Anger, lust, greed, jealousy, insanity, What leads a person to commit the unthinkable? Are there signs, warnings, or does the crime itself provide the evidence of a monster? This is Crime Crack. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new podcast and the first ever episode of Crime Crack. I am Justin. I'm Eric. And I'm Heidi. And today we are going to be discussing a pretty interesting murder case that happened in 1980. Um, it's one that was actually suggested to us by a listener, so I, I, I wanted to cover it because it's actually one that kind of hits close to home for me because I live in North Dakota. It, it happened in South Dakota, but um, it goes along with the Standing Rock Indian Reservation, which actually was a part of a standoff with an oil company here in North Dakota um, where they were trying to stop the lying of um, pipeline to, to uh, get oil from, I believe, North Dakota down south. But this happened in 1980. Uh, Candace Ruff Surface, who was 18 at the time, was raped and murdered by um, Nicholas Schur and James Stroh. Now, what's interesting about this is it is kind of close to home for both Heidi and I because the one uh, murderer, James Stroh, is from Wisconsin and um like i said the the native american standing rock was here in north dakota so it's super interesting to look into this because it's one of i guess it can go back into history if you if you think about it so eric why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh the murder itself yeah 
Well, <clears throat> the murder itself, I mean, it's pretty, pretty good task. You know, I mean, all murders are right, but this one is just really crazy and quite sad. Uh, and basically these two men had taken Candace in a car. They were supposedly, she was going somewhere. Her sister actually dropped her off, uh, more or less in the middle of nowhere. And then these two men picked her up and they were heading off somewhere. And as they were driving, they got into an argument and Candace actually became furious with one of the men and ended up hitting him. Uh, and when that happened, they pulled the car over, threw her out and then began to rape and beat her. After they'd finished beating her, they then shot her in the back and in the head with a 22 caliber handgun, then chained her to the back of their car and dragged her up and down the road before eventually dumping her body in the river. Wow. Now, what's interesting is the article that I came across basically portrays Stroh as kind of a victim in the sense, too, in the fact that he was not the original aggressor. Nicholas was the original aggressor, and that's who uh, Candace was uh, striking out at. And he was the one driving at the time, Nicholas, and basically stopped the truck and went over to the other side where Cheryl was sitting, told him, hey, we're going to deal with this woman. There's more colorful words there. But, um, and that's when it happened that they, or, well, Cheryl got out and then they pulled her out. And then, it was according to, again, this is according to Stroh, Nicholas raped her, told him to do this, told Stroh to do the same thing, then pulled out a gun, shot her, uh, I forget how many times, and five. then- Was it five? Okay. Yes. And then, um, instructed Stroh to do the same thing, and Stroh only shot her once, according, again, to his, his testimony. And then he decided to come clean, if you will, to his his wife and mother-in-law, uh, I believe Eric, you said that you had saw that it was before the the couple got married. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he came clean to his uh, his now ex-mother-in-law and also his ex-wife. And then the mother-in-law went to the cops basically because she was furious with something in in the bitter divorce, um, and that's when the ball kept rolling. And then Stroh decided to, in his um, story, basically say, I will implicate the other person that was in this murder so long as I get a lesser sentence, pretty much, was was the uh, gist of it. And uh, it's just, what they did to this woman is, is so horrific. But um, getting into... What may have caused the, this tension or even the, the history with Native Americans and, and the whites? Why don't you go into that a little bit, Eric? Yeah. So, you know, this area of North Dakota has always had this relationship, a hard relationship between Indians and white settlers. And in 1876, Sitting Bull, the great Lakota military strategist, is buried on the western bluffs of the Missouri, just a few miles from town. Now, in 1876, the Indian tribes from that area defeated Colonel George Armstrong Custer at Little Bighorn in Montana. 
But then 14 years later, his 7th Cavalry returned and massacred hundreds of Indians at Wounding Knee in South, in South Dakota. Now, since then, there has been this tension between whites and Native Americans because of what happened back in the 1800s with this massacre. Um, interestingly enough, there was a, a, uh, transcript of a news report posted by NBC Learn that I came across earlier. And what's interesting is that people, even to this day, still can't figure out why there's tension between the two uh, people groups. In fact, one man, Mr. Douglas Maynard, who's a mob, a mob Ridge resident, had mentioned that he's not proud of what took place during those massacres almost 120 years ago, but somebody's got to let him go. And I don't know that they have let them go yet. Uh, that's what he said. And so it's interesting because you have to begin to question, like, it, is it anybody's right nowadays to come forth and apologize for these massacres that had happened and the war and everything that was happening at the time? Or is this something that both sides need to simply let go and move on with? Well, same question can be said for the tensions between whites and uh, African-Americans, too. Oh, absolutely. I've had those arguments plenty of times right. uh, with friends around here. Um, and, and, you know, it really it comes down to, in my opinion, and what from I've learned, it comes down to the way someone is raised uh, in, in their upbringing. Um, you know, some people uh, were raised to believe that they're the victims because their ancestors are the victims, while others are raised to believe that their history is simply just that, history, and that today – People don't really define, you know, themselves according to that old history. Uh, so that's really where these tensions start to kind of differ from the two and how some tensions are raised and some people can let things go. Right. Well, and I mean, of course, I'm speaking as a white male, but, you know, we should always remember that history. But to dwell on it is just causing so much uh, strife and separation in our country that it's it's getting to be the point of uh, maybe a civil war because we're being so separated. So, Heidi, why don't you give us some uh, opinions on this for your, from your perspective on what you think was going on here? Hello. And welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, when you said we were going to do this case and I started researching it, I, I like the fact that I can always connect to something because then I start to like get excited about what I'm going to speak about, because otherwise it's just a matter of my opinion. But I am part Indian, so I am part Sioux. Okay. So when I was reading about this case, I actually never heard about it. I'm, I was in my little party bubble as a white chick, you know. <laughs> so 
Um, I wasn't rate. I didn't even find out it was part two until I was in my twenties, late twenties. So, but the point is that I, I don't know, I guess like Eric was saying, it's, it's about how you're raised because I just, I'm not in North Dakota. I'm not in South Dakota. I don't understand all these, these racial things, but I feel that in general, when it comes to racism, I think we've, we've passed that, but the media has really hopped on it. And I think that has fueled it. And, and in this particular case, all the articles I read, they, they narrowed it down to, to a racial thing. And I do not believe that it was a racial fueled, um, crime. I, you know, but they're, they're making it everything about race. And I think, I mean, doing the research on this girl, and I hope no one gets me wrong, I do not believe in any which way she deserved what happened to her. But, I used to live a really wild life and, and during that wild life, I put myself in certain situations and I was raped. So I can own up to that and say, you know what? If I didn't put myself in that situation, you know, I'm partly to blame. Not that she was. However, she was an 18 year old girl who she was a mom. She was because she was a pregnant teen and, and she dropped out of school and she was trying to get her life back together. But at the same time, she, she was at a bar drinking with these guys. They left and went to a party. And if there was animosity between her and these white guys, she never would have left with them. Or if the alcohol was involved and maybe she wasn't thinking or whatever, but then she was going to go to a party with them and something happened and said maybe they were all drunk or whatever and a fight ensued because we don't really know the true story. Um, so here's the media trying to say, you know, all the articles were like, you know, the white and the Indians and the rich and the poor and the smart and the unschooled. In fact, one article was titled non-Indian men arrested for murder. It's like you're fueling that. And so that just stirs up all these things. And it does, it brings up a lot of, of, of hurt feelings from what happened in the past. And so if the media is not going to let it go, these people will never be able to let it go. So here's, a, I believe, in my opinion, a, a crime that had nothing to do with race. It just had to do with, with drunk guys. And maybe something was said that caused it, but I don't believe it started out that way. You know, right. that's just my opinion. Well, the the one article that, because I, I read a couple, but for the most part, it all sounded the same to me. Um, but from what I was picking up on was again this is from james stroh basically saying that nicholas said something it doesn't go into detail like if it was a racial slur if it was something degrading to the native american culture nothing like that but the like you're saying with with the media um it almost they're almost pushing that it was something to that effect that made her blow up and it could very well have been because in, in one of the articles that I read also was it, they talked about how her mom had to often like contain her from saying things when they went to the white store, you know, and it's like, there we go again. Why does it have to be a white store just because it's in a white neighborhood? I mean, right. you know, and I don't know what it was like at that time. I'm only going off by what I'm reading. So she probably had, Candace probably had some feelings because, you know, there was that tension going on. But I don't think that if she had a, a hatred or whatever, she would have even have gotten into the car to go to a party with these guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. Eric, what uh, are some of your That's the way the media thoughts? made it. Yeah. Eric, what are some of your thoughts? You know, I mean, I, I agree with what both of you are saying. And I think, like, 
I don't think people really pay attention or notice that there's a there's a fine line between disliking certain people and then racism. Um, you know, it, depending on, like for example, the certain people groups who or certain people I should say who tend to act out a little differently than others. Um, some tend to be a little more dangerous, you know, going on carrying their weapons, uh, talking about. Uh, or making racial slurs toward people. Um, maybe the way they dress, the way they talk, maybe they're not, uh, weren't brought up, uh, as educated as other people. Uh, and people tend to see them a little differently than what they see other people. Um, for example, let, let's just say over here in Cleveland, black community, uh, it, Cleveland is one of the most segregated cities in the country, Absolutely. and you start to notice there is a difference, uh, or at least in outward appearance, there seems to be a difference between uh, black people who'd grown up on the east side uh, in the slums or in the you know in the ghettos and stuff like that, compared to people who were way, raised on the west side who had an education who uh, now can get their jobs. And you know, at first appearance, you see people on the east side and you think. Wow, these are going to be people who are bad guys. I don't want to be around them. This and that. I've worked with people from the east side. And, you know, some of them do dress differently. Some of them talk differently. They have more of an accent or slang. But when you get to know them, you begin to realize they're actually not very different at all. They're just normal people who are brought up a little differently. And I think at that, in this case, um, it's not so much racism that could have stirred the pot, but maybe like you said, a certain thing that was said, something that just pushes buttons, you know, uh, it's easy to push people's buttons. It's easy to, to take things too far, even when you don't mean to, you know, you can say something that derogatory without meaning it to be derogatory and it still sounds derogatory to somebody, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree with both you guys. I, I think that there's, I think this whole racial thing is being taken way too far, especially in America today, because we're seeing it in the news like crazy. Um, and it's currently a fad. Unfortunately, it's the current fad and that fad will go. It'll leave and we'll have something new to complain about or worry about in the future. But the problem is that Americans are gullible. And they're going to give in to all these reports of racism and hatred. And that's going to continue to stir the pot and bring things up like this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think that, um, I think that it's a thing that we will deal with at least for a little while longer, but I hope that at some point we can all come together and say, Hey, we're, we're one race, we're a human race and, and we can start building from there. But, um, mm-hmm. the one thing that, as if none of it was any grosser than anything else about this. But the one thing that disturbed me even more so than just them killing and raping her was the fact that they tied her to the back of the truck and then started dragging her body, and her body was basically falling apart as they drug her. And that's how they just they had discovered that she was murdered because they found body parts in a farm area. And um, to me, that is kind of a way to dehumanize her. Like she's not a thing, a person anymore. She's just a thing. What are your, both of your guys' thoughts? We'll start with you, Eric, since we started with Heidi. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that this in particular, this this event actually is what what makes it seem like a hate crime. You know, throughout history, we especially in the Deep South, we've heard of people uh, being dragged behind trucks, either by the KKK or other individuals uh, who are trying to uh, make a statement to other people. Um, and, and so in this case, I think that's exactly where this whole hate thing is coming from. Uh, it, it's it's not just the rape. It's not just the murder itself, shooting the girl, but then going and dragging her behind a car. I mean, that's just there's not even words for it, you know, that's just pure hatred for somebody or anger. And I mean, we could blame it on them being drunk, but I think there's a line, you know, it's like, can this, can that simple act be drawn up to the conclusion of, Oh, they were just drunk and they took things too even further than what they already did. You know, that is if you could go further, uh, she was already dead, but you know, I don't know. I, I think this is, I think that particular element is why they're considering this a hate crime yeah i mean i I think i agree there what about you heidi um i guess i can see it both ways you know you know just eric talking makes me think about something that maybe i didn't consider was did they possibly know that they were going to do something to her um at the beginning of the night you know we don't really know all the details because james never the other reason that he came clean was because they, the mother-in-law went to the police or whatever during this bitter divorce, and then he decides. But I mean, he, he came clean to his wife at the right. time, I think it was. But so he must have felt some guilt. But I mean, they were 15 and 16 when they did this, and it makes me wonder. I, I can't wrap my head around a 15 and 16 year old having drunk or not, hatred or not, anger or not, getting to that point where. How do I put it? I mean, to kill somebody, to rape somebody, you have to be at that anger point. I mean, that's beyond being angry. That there's got to be some kind of, I mean, that's just not something anybody does when they're angry right. or because they don't like somebody's color or, or race or whatever. So there had to be some elements already present in these two boys. You know, I, I just, I guess I just don't totally understand because we don't know all the facts either. I mean, I'm wondering, you know, did they know that they were going to do something and they, it was all planned or what makes somebody snap and go to that point? And then maybe you just get, they got so riled up in their minds, you know, the adrenaline and everything, and they took it to the next point. I never really considered the stuff that Eric said about, you know, it being a racial thing in the past where they would drag people. Perhaps that was already in their mind um, from this whole racial thing that, you know, was obviously a part of this town. And that's why they took it. To that level, or it could be what you said, Justin, where, I mean, I see that point too, where you want to dehumanize somebody because you want to like black out what you just did to a living person. Right. You know, so it could be either or, but the, I, it bothers me that the media and everything was all about this whole racial thing when they really should be concerned about what these boys did to her and right. why yeah. that should be the question. Not, I mean, but the media is all about the race. Mm-hmm. Hey, folks, I want to take a quick break. I hope you guys are enjoying Crime Crack. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial. 
at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth, where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to patreon.com forward slash paratruth, where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Again, that's paratruthradio.com forward slash paratruth. Go check it out. Now, do you guys think at all that it, the reason they might have done the whole dragging thing was to make it to make it look like a hate crime instead of a, a rape and murder? And maybe it would be changed a little bit where it wouldn't be looked as, I guess, badly upon in their minds that it was it was a hate crime. No, actually, I think that this this could be much more morbid than we would possibly think. I think that maybe they could have dragged the body in and if in hopes of getting rid of any evidence of their act. Okay, you know, as these I, I I hate saying it, but as these pieces of this girl, you know, came off and disappeared, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, she spread across everywhere. They maybe expected her to just kind of vanish in a way and hence would never uh have no one would have ever found the body and they would have been free from it uh and who knows why and i mean i think they might have actually had the time to think about it a bit i don't know if necessarily this was something that was in the act or if they did like heidi said have time to think about it and plan it out from the beginning who knows yeah or i'm wondering too maybe you know um, cause I did read that it was, it was a, a truck that they were in. Right. You know, could it, could it be something even less sinister than what we're discussing? It could it be they didn't know what to do. They didn't want this, this bloody body. They didn't want a reminder of what they did. So they weren't thinking just, okay, let's get her out of the car, but we still got to bring her here or out of the truck. So let's drag her. Cause I don't know what kind of truck. I don't know why they couldn't put her in the back. Like I don't know all the details, mm-hmm. but I know they dragged her a mile and just sort of, you know, left her where she was at. Maybe they just weren't thinking because not that I've ever killed somebody. So I would know, but I would assume that when you're in that, that mental frenzy, you're not thinking clearly. So, you know, you do stupid things. You've heard criminals do such stupid things um, that where they get caught, but maybe these guys weren't thinking too. So maybe it's something a little bit less than what we're assuming. And I think the elements that we don't know are really what could put this case to rest. But it obviously no one ever like interviewed James Stroh, um, you know, what he's doing. I know that um, just because I'm in Wisconsin, you know, I researched and I he's up. He's actually living about like three, four hours from where I live now. And, you know, it's like no one ever went to him and said, "Let why don't you discuss what was going on and give that family some peace or give this town some peace, something, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the one- yeah, you know, I, Go ahead. I was, I'm sorry. I was going to say that, you know, sometimes and it's unfortunate, um, you know, in our way of thinking, it, it makes sense to get all the information possible, get the story from all sides. Uh, and maybe they have the story. They're just not releasing it. Okay. Um, and it seems to me like especially not just the world, but our country in particular are, are very concerned about the justice, just get it done and get it out of the way and 
let that be, let that be that, you know, let's forget about it. Uh, they want to move things fast so that there's not more controversy going on in the states, um, especially in the North Dakota, South Dakota region. Yeah. Um, but one thing I, I do have a question. I don't know if either of you came across it. Do we know if they're being tried as minors or adults in this case? I believe since the case came out after they were grown up, they were tried as adults. Yeah, I think it was like 16 years later or something. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand. I wasn't sure if it would have been different because the murder had happened before they were legally adults or, you know, how that actually worked out. Um, but, you know, I, I know that that prosecutors are looking for a mandatory minimum sentence of 13 years. Uh, it is believed that Sheer or sure is going to be hopefully prosecuted, uh, and given a hundred years in prison, which would then make him eligible for parole in 13 years. Um, but, but one thing that hasn't really come up and nothing I've been able to find, I know Justin, you and I talked about it a little bit earlier. And so Heidi, maybe you get your thought on this, but both, um, the ex-mother-in-law of James and his wife knew about this crime, uh, as far as we know, anywhere from a few months to a couple of years before it came out. Do you think that they should be held accountable for withholding information, this information from police? Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> oh, I've already gave my opinion, so I'll let you do it and then <laughs> I'll, I'll okay. voice what I said. Well, I totally think that they should be held accountable, but I mean, I'm looking at the, it seems like they just wanted to, like you said, just get justice somehow. So they did every way they can. So I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, they will tell you this information, but you can't, you know, we don't want to be in trouble for it. And they're like, okay. So they take that so they can get at least prosecute somebody. And I, I totally disagree that, that, um, James Stroh ended up not having to, you know, go to jail that long or whatever, or was he, he didn't even go at all or did he? James Stroh. Or was it? He, he was convicted before Nicholas was tried, but I don't know what, sen- I didn't come across the sentence that they gave he him. He had a, I know he had a lesser sentence and I know he's out and, but whereas Nicholas, he had a review in um, November, this last November of 2017 and he, it was denied. And he's mm-hmm. like, he's going to be in jail for like, uh, I think, what was it? Um, August of 2047 is when he'll be up eligible for parole. Okay. You know, he has a hundred year sentence. So I'm thinking, you know, I personally don't think it's fair just because someone gives you information that they can get out of their sentence or out of trouble. I think they should be held accountable for something. And I'm wondering if maybe the, the mother and the mother-in-law and the, the wife didn't because they came forward. And I understand that's the way the law works. They're trying to get somebody. Yeah. But I don't agree with how the law works all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, I, what I was saying to Eric is that nowhere did I come across that it was even talked about that, that the uh, mother-in-law and ex-wife were even implicated in any way. Um, mm-hmm. It's just they came. Which means they probably weren't. Right. They just came clean, and then the cops were like, okay, go get them. So right. one thing that I had said to Eric before we started uh, recording, and Eric, you can give your point um, after Heidi has her say here. I was thinking and reading through these articles, James Stroh was the one that came clean. And 
he implicated Nicholas Schur and made him basically be the the original aggressor. I I keep getting the feeling that James Stroh was basically the mastermind behind this and drug Nicholas Schur in. Now, I didn't come across anything that said Nicholas Schur did or did not confess to to the murder or anything like that. What are your thoughts on that, Heidi? Um, that's an interesting theory. I I don't know. I was thinking that I know he said that, you know, his cousin was the aggressor and everything. And I, I guess I would have to say that I'm going to go on this one with the story that his cousin Nicholas was the aggressor only because he must have felt guilty enough to come clean years later, but he felt guilty enough. Um, and I can, I guess I can envision that kind of scenario. Um, not saying he's any less guilty because of it, uh, as you know, the law says he is, but just because he came clean doesn't mean he should get off. Um, but I, I think that probably because he wasn't originally, I mean, he was from that area and then he moved to Wisconsin and then he was visiting. So I think that maybe the, and it's just a guess, because again, we don't know the details, but I'm thinking maybe because Nicholas was actually from there, he may have had more, you know, issues as far as like the race thing. I'm not sure. Or maybe even against women. Yeah, because rape is a crime of anger and not a crime of passion. Um, it's, you know, so it wasn't about I think it was more about the dominance and and the anger than anything else. Okay. Eric, go ahead and mm. give your two cents there. Yeah, no, I mean I I agree. I mean both both uh men ended up pleading guilty uh and not necessarily to murder but the manslaughter. Um and I, I as far as I know if both are pleading guilty then both are guilty, simple as that, you know. And again, if Regardless of who was the initiator, um, you know, either one could have stopped at any moment. Either one could have said, no, this is wrong. You know, they could have, I mean, honestly, they could have done things a whole lot differently. Um, even if they were to beat her, they could have, you know, didn't have to murder her, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so obviously they're both in on it the entire time. Uh, the moment that, uh, either one of them laid their hands on her and the other did nothing, that was it. They, they're both, as far as I'm concerned, they both should be penalized for that. Um, and of course, given maximum sentences, it's just that simple. And I don't know what, what Nicholas had said. We only really know what James said, but right. where James talked about, you know, Nicholas said something and it ticked her off. So she started hitting him. So I could see why he would, might be the aggressor in it. And, you know, but, you know, like Eric said, I mean, that doesn't mean James had to, to follow he could have stopped him he could have done something so he's mm-hmm. equally as guilty yeah well and this does not uh make it any less gruesome but if if they were close cousins like for example Eric and I are close it's hard to how do I put this? It, it sometimes can be hard to to stop something or say no or something like that. In this particular case, I think both Eric and I would both restrain each other, or slap each other upside the head, something to to stop the situation. But sometimes, if it's a close knit family, it, it almost comes off as 
you know, we have to participate because we don't want that person to get in trouble. Get what I'm saying? Right. So any final thoughts on this particular case before we wrap it up? Well, just the point that I made was that I just think that if they're going to keep revisiting this case, which I'm surprised they didn't again since it was uh, he was up for parole in, in November and it was denied, but I just wish that they would concentrate more on on why it was you know done and, and maybe get James's take so that maybe you could put some piece or something at rest just to help the situation because every time the media keeps bringing this up, it just stirs things up and makes things worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eric. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, they, they, they have the opportunity and will continue to have the opportunity to reopen the case, uh, and take a, a, a more in-depth look at the situation and what had happened and listen to the guy's testimonies again and perhaps get a new testimony and see if anything's changed. If any of them had, now that they've had time to sit and stew in it for a while, uh, maybe they want to tell us more, but, um, yeah, I agree. I think, I think the situation needs to be assessed a little further, figure out exactly what happened so that hopefully, uh, it can be prevented in the future as well. I agree with both of you guys. And I, I think that, um, in cases like this, I mean, they keep, they keep coming back to it, but it's, it's really in the eyes of, I guess, the media as well as whoever's pursuing it further as to, you know, what is their purpose in, in pursuing it? Is it to try and finalize it? Is it something that both Nicholas and James are like, you know, their stories are changing and they're like, no, we didn't do this. So they're trying to, to get off for it. So, I think that uh our judicial system is kind of messed up in that sense that they will revisit a case four or five, a handful of times, and a lot of times it's still not completely resolved 100%. That's true. So, all right, folks, that is the first ever Crime Crack. Uh, you're getting this on Patreon, so thank you so much for donating and uh, getting this new monthly podcast where we have brought in Heidi Linden as part <gasps> of the co-host. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to respond to that. Um, I am my own fan club. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. I just love it. I love talking to you guys. It's fun. <laughs> so, all right, folks, until next month where you will find us once again. My name is Justin. I'm Eric. And I'm Heidi. Bye-bye. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Crime Crack. If you loved it and you want to hear more, Head on over to patreon.com forward slash paratruth and subscribe at least a dollar. That's all you need to subscribe a month to get more episodes of Crime Crack. There are more rewards in that tier, let alone all the other tiers. So definitely at least check it out while you're there. And uh, let us know what you thought of it as well right in the comments below. And uh, make sure you like, share, and subscribe Paratruth Radio in all the areas that we broadcast So until next week, folks, where you'll find us, same time, same channel, my name is Justin. Talk to you later, guys. 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) I don't know.